You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with something a little different from Real Simple Magazine, an article on coffee and espresso and Americano. So what is the difference between an espresso, Americano, and more coffee drinks? We can resolve your coffee shop confusion once and for all. For many of us, coffee is the first thing on our minds when we wake up, and for good reason. It's delicious and energizing and gives our days a buzzy kickstart. And we're not limited to regular drip coffee. At almost any coffee shop, you have your pick of a whole range of different types of coffee drinks. Not sure what the difference is between a cortado and a macchiato? How about the difference between a cafe latte and a flat white? Today, we're going over 12 popular caffeinated beverages to help you find your match and nail your coffee order. First one, we're going alphabetically, affogato. An affogato is an Italian dessert that traditionally consists of milk-flavored or vanilla ice cream with a shot of espresso poured on top. The combination of cold, sweet ice cream and hot, bitter espresso makes for a delightful afternoon treat. Feel free to stray from the classic combo and experiment with other ice cream flavors for a modern take on the affogato. Chocolate or salted caramel, perhaps. Americano. Americanos resemble drip coffee, but they're actually made of espresso diluted with hot water. The resulting drink has a similar strength and volume to drip coffee, but with a taste of a less powerful espresso. Breve, or breve, B-R-E-V-E. It means short in Italian, which signifies this coffee's small size. Although the breve has roots in Italy, it's an Americanized drink using half and half instead of regular milk. To make a breve, pull a shot of espresso and top it with steamed half and half, which makes the drink extra rich and creamy. The ratio of espresso to half and half should be about one to two. Cafe latte. A cafe latte is made of espresso and steamed milk with a coffee to milk ratio of about one to four. There are countless variations on a classic cafe latte like chai, matcha, and mocha. Cafe au lait. The French cafe au lait is simply a strong coffee with hot steamed milk. You can use espresso or regular drip coffee and the amount of milk is up to you. A latte tends to be larger and milkier than a cafe au lait and requires more intentional steaming to master the foamy surface. For an easy at-home coffee drink, we suggest the ever-flexible cafe au lait. Cappuccino. A cappuccino is the preferred morning coffee order in Italy, and for good reason. With equal parts espresso, steamed milk, and milk foam, it's a creamy, smooth drink and a great way to start the day. Cortado. Cortados, which originated in Spain, consists of roughly equal amounts of espresso and steamed milk. A cortado tastes more strongly of espresso than a latte or cappuccino does, since it contains less milk. Espresso. Espresso is a concentrated form of coffee with a rich, bitter flavor and high caffeine content. 
To make espresso, a machine forces pressurized hot water through very finely ground coffee beans. Espresso is the base of many coffee drinks, but can also be enjoyed on its own. Whether you're drinking espresso solo or in a drink, you can order a single shot or a double. It just depends on how tired you are. Macchiato. A macchiato is an espresso with a dash of steamed milk to cut through the bitterness. In Italian, macchiato means stained to suggest that the milk stains the espresso. A macchiato is a nice way to get a caffeine boost without drinking straight espresso. Iced latte. Iced lattes consist of ice, espresso, and cold milk. That's it. An iced latte is the cold version of a classic cafe latte, so it has the same coffee to milk ratio of about one to four. The milk, which can also be dairy or non-dairy, gives the drink a creamy, velvety texture while you still get a touch of bitterness from the espresso. Mocha. A mocha is a variation on a cafe latte with chocolate flavoring, which could be in the form of chocolate syrup, cocoa powder or sugar, or even melted chocolate. Different people have their own spins on mochas, but the main idea is a classic one to four espresso to milk cafe latte with chocolate flavoring added to the mix. Flat white. We can thank Australia for the flat white, which is like a cappuccino without the foam layer. Flat refers to the lack of foam at its surface. A flat white is made of espresso and steamed milk, and that's it, which makes for a smooth, strong drink. The main difference between a flat white and a cafe latte is the size. Flat whites are generally smaller than lattes, more like the size of cappuccinos, and with the same rough coffee-to-milk ratio of 1 to 2. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Next, we're going to go to one of our regulars, Smitten Kitchen, for quick, essential stovetop mac and cheese. A couple of years ago at my second home, the grocery store, alas, not like the shore, I was passing through the boxed macaroni and cheese section and realized my son, then five, had grown up so far without ever trying it. I realized that some people pat themselves on the back about this, but I'm more skeptical about things. Realistically, by the time my kids grow up, I will have inundated them with so many kale Caesars, farro salads and wholesome slaws, sweet potatoes and homemade from scratch birthday cakes. They'll have no choice but to rebel with a steady diet of sugar cereals, frozen pocketed foods and frosting from a can. Maybe leveling things up earlier on will help avoid this outcome. So I bought a box, made it for dinner that night, with requisite steamed broccoli on the side. Nobody ever tells you how much broccoli you're going to steam when you become a parent. And, oh, I'm sorry, were you waiting for me to call it terrible? A disappointment? A memory from childhood that did not hold up? It was anything but. I love orange cheese powder, and I do not wish to keep it to myself any longer. I understand that the internet can supply me with orange cheese powder, but... I promise that's not where I'm going with this. I want to talk about why we like it and what I, an adult who doesn't want to make a habit of the box stuff, nor live a life devoid of the dish it creates, what we do when I'm craving stovetop pasta with a sauce of melted cheese intensely and nothing else will do. Please note, a perfect recipe for a decadent, show-stealing centerpiece casserole of macaroni and cheese 
with baked buttery crumbs on top already exists and we've been making it for years. A miraculous hack, you don't even pre-boil the pasta or make a sauce, of a rich bronzed macaroni and cheese also exists in the archives, but it spends a long time in the oven. This isn't for those times. This is for 15 minutes from now, all in one pot, from ingredients you already keep around, and it's a single serving, so when your craving has passed, you can return to a life of leafy greens, or you know, you can do it again tomorrow. Here are, here's the actual recipe for quick, essential stovetop mac and cheese. Serves one time, 15 minutes. I use Parmesan or Pecorino here because I find them to have the maximum salty, cheesy impact in small quantities. Plus, I always keep them around. However, if I'm feeling fancy, I'll swap half of it with a very sharp aged cheddar. Please note that if you use a microplane rasp to grate your cheese, it's going to be a lot lighter at one half cup quantity and therefore less cheesy in the end, which would be tragic. A few other tips. I find that using smaller quantities of water than usually recommended for pasta is fine for mac and cheese where we want a starchier effect. I like to season mine with a good amount of black pepper for a cacio a pepe vibe. For pasta, you've probably noted that no mac or macaroni was used in the making of this dish, but you can use it here. I'm forever weak in the face of an unusual pasta shape, however, and used something called sagnea pese, which looks like broken pieces of roughly lasagna edges. I also love this with medium shells. Do not go crazy measuring two teaspoons of butter from a stick. Just use a little shy of the tablespoon mark. Finally, and I forgot to mention this initially, but sauces like this can be great with a touch of finely grated garlic. Just half a small clove, microplane, would be ideal for this volume. Kosher salt. Four ounces of dried pasta, such as macaroni or another small twisty shape. Two teaspoons of salted or unsalted butter. Two teaspoons of all-purpose flour. One half cup of low fat or whole milk. Many grinds of black pepper. One half cup or one ounce or 30 grams of finely grated Parmesan or Pecorino cheese. Just threw that in there because of the uh, microplane grating we talked about earlier. Bring a small to medium pot of very well salted water to a boil and add your dried pasta. Cook it until firm, tender, and then drain. And that's firm tender. <laughs> that's what I mean. Return pot to stove and melt butter in the bottom. Using a spoon or whisk, add flour and mix until it disappears. Add milk, a tiny splash at a time, stirring constantly so no lumps form. Season with one quarter teaspoon kosher salt and many grinds of black pepper. Bring sauce to a simmer. Cook stirring for one to two minutes. Remove from heat and stir in grated cheese until combined. Add drained pasta and stir to evenly coat. Scoop into a bowl. Okay, I won't tell anyone if you don't. And finish it with more black pepper if you wish. Repeat as needed. Sounds delicious to me. Next, we're going to go right for the cookies. Coconut brown butter cookies. I realize that most people don't go to the city bakery or their green birdbath outlets for coconut cookies. They come in droves to load up on the legendary chocolate chip cookies, 
pretzel croissants, or even the alien-looking baker's muffin. The coconut cookie, an almost monotone golden brown that resembles a million other cookies on Earth, just doesn't inspire the same kind of fervor, but I think it should. If you're familiar with the place, you should probably have guessed that. Maori Rubin, the owner, chief baker of the chain, he who bakes caramel, almonds, and fresh cranberries together in a way that you will never want to go with again, wasn't going to put in just any cookie, coconut cookie in his bakery case. Yet to actually bite into one is still astonishing. How did they get all of that butter in there? Or in short, goodbye boring macaroons forever. As should be abundantly evident by now, I'm a bit obsessed with them and finally decided in January that I was going to re reverse engineer them or fail wildly tryingly. trying. And oh, how wildly I failed. First auditioning a straightforward drop cookie with sweetened flaked coconut that was not even close. Then I decided to fiddle with all of my favorite baking vices, brown butter, sea salt, homemade vanilla extract, but I was still miles from the bakery case dream. And then, two weeks ago, I fell down the most wonderful internet rabbit hole, which began with these blue sky brand muffins, followed by a comment patty, which directed the curious to Maori Reuben, demonstrating his corn muffins with pear and candy ginger on Martha Stewart's TV show, with an embedded video segment that I watched until the end, at which point my reward was revealed in the following 17 words. After the break, I'll be back with Maori to make a recipe for the perfect coconut cookie. His coconut cookie? If I knew how to make gifts, here would be a five-second reel of Cookie Monster appearing in a thought bubble above my head, me closing the laptop, grabbing my bag, and walking out the door to the grocery store, recipe open on my phone. Four stores, stupid coconut chips, and three hours later, the very cookie I've pined for all these years that I'd failed at numerous times came out of my oven, and lo, they were perfect. For about one hour... Here's the thing. What's amazing about this cookie is how simple it is. It has the same seven ingredients that form the backbone of most drop cookies, white and brown sugar, eggs, butter, flour, salt, and baking soda, plus an absolutely staggering amount of dried coconut, and butter, but more on that later. But, and this is my sole city bakery quibble, the pinch of salt isn't close to enough for the massive amount of, of cookies, <clears throat> and I miss the sea salt flex in my failed batches. I also had trouble forgetting what an incredible pairing brown butter and coconut are, and vanilla. Well, it makes a virtual butterscotch of the crisp, chewy crumb. So, I made two more batches, one Reuben's Way and one with brown butter, vanilla, and more sea salt, and all three professional testers, uh, the babysitter, uh, my husband, and the preschooler, chose the brown butter version for you. I hope you find it as obsessively good as we do. Here's the recipe, coconut brown butter cookies, adapted from the City Bakery via the Martha Stewart Show. Let me just get the obvious out of the way. These cookies contain a spectacular amount of butter. They also contain a spectacular amount of coconut. In fact, when you really look at it, 
these there's amazingly little flour or eggs for the amount of butter and coconut and these four things are what make this cookie different from any other they're like a standard drop cookie think chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin merged with a buttery lacy florentine and they manage to have both the florentines golden crisp and crackle and the drop cookies faint chew the browned butter sea salt and vanilla extract are just the icing on the cake but if you want to make them the original way simply soften the butter skip the water it's necessary to make up for the lost, lost butter volume when it's browned vanilla and reduce the salt to a pinch so there you go Note, I have halved the original recipe, which called for a full pound of butter and eight cups of coconut. I just couldn't. <laughs> this yields one dozen, if you make the massive bakery size, about two dozen of a medium size, about two tablespoons of dough each, or four dozen of a small size, about one tablespoon each. Here's what you need. One cup of unsalted butter, two tablespoons of water, one half cup plus two tablespoons of granulated sugar, three quarter cup packed light brown sugar, one large egg, one half teaspoon of pure vanilla extract, one and a quarter cup plus three tablespoons of all purpose flour, one teaspoon baking soda, slightly heaped one half teaspoon of flaky sea salt or one quarter teaspoon of table salt, four cups of dried unsweetened coconut chips, in a medium saucepan, melt the butter over medium heat. It will melt, then foam, then turn clear golden, and finally start to turn brown and smell nutty. Stir frequently, scraping up any bits from the bottom as you do. Don't take your eyes off the pot, as it seems to take forever, more than five minutes, but then it turns dark very quickly. Once it's deeply fragrant, almost nut brown color, Remove it from the heat and pour the butter and all brown bits at the bottom into a measuring cup. Adding two tablespoons of water should bring the butter amount back up to one cup. Chill the brown butter in the fridge until it solidifies about one to two hours. You can hurry this along in the freezer, but check back often and stir so it doesn't actually freeze unevenly solid. Next, you're gonna heat your oven to 350 degrees Line baking sheets with parchment paper or a non-stick baking mat. Scrape chilled buttery, um, I'm sorry, scrape chilled browned butter and any bits into a large mixing bowl. Add both sugars and beat the mixture until fluffy. Add egg and beat until combined, scraping down the bowl as needed, and then vanilla. Whisk the flour, baking soda, and salt together in a separate bowl. Pour half of the flour mixture into the butter mixture and mix until combined. Then add the remaining flour in and mix again, scraping down the bowl if needed. Add coconut chips in two parts as well. You're going to scoop the dough into one, two, or more. Reuben recommends a two-inch wide scoop for bakery-sized cookies. One or two or more inch balls and arrange a few with a lot of room for spreading on the first baking sheet. Use the back of a spoon or your fingers to flatten the dough slightly. Bake the first tray of cookies. One tablespoon scoops will take 10 to 11 minutes. Two, tables, two tablespoon scoops, 12 to 14 minutes. And the two inch scoop used at the bakery, 14 to 16 minutes. 
Take the cookies out when they're deeply golden all over. If cookies have not spread as much as you see above, stir two teaspoons more water into the cookie dough, mixing thoroughly before baking off another tray. This should do the trick, but if it does not, repeat the same with your next batch. Once you've confirmed that you have the water level correct, bake the remaining cookies. Cool cookies on the baking sheet for one to two minutes before transferring to a cooling rack. Cookies keep for up to one week at room temperature. Extra dough can be stored in the fridge for several days or in the freezer for a month or more. About the water, brown butter is one of my favorite things to eat in cookies, like, like things and least favorite things to write cookie recipes for, because when you brown the butter, water volume is lost, but not all types of butter contain the same amount of water. I find that for most standard American grocery store butters, I was using Trader Joe's store brand here, but the equivalent would be any non-European style butter. One tablespoon of water per stick, or, or a half cup, of butter is a sufficient replacement. However, should you find that your first batch of cookies is too thick, a little extra water is all that you'll need to get the texture right. It sounds scary, but I promise it is as simple as can be. Holler at me in the comments if this doesn't work for you. And please note the kind of butter and how much water that you used. Our next recipe is from a real simple. It's for mushroom and burrata orzato. Quick cooking orzo stands in for arborio rice to make a creamy risotto-like dish. This takes 35 minutes. It serves four. And if you're craving risotto, but you don't want to stand over the stove continuously stirring, this orzotto is for you. Orzo is a small rice-shaped pasta with a toothy texture and is used in this weeknight friendly recipe that takes cues from risotto or risotto. First, you'll prep a variety of mushrooms and roast them until tender and golden. Then you'll cook chopped onion and oil before toasting in the, or the orzo in the pan. The orzo will cook together with the broth instead of gradually stirring in cupfuls of broth. The starch the orzo releases as it cooks helps to make this dish super creamy. Luscious burrata is just the cherry on top. Ingredients, one and a half pound of mixed fresh mushrooms such as mataki, kremini, and shiitake, one quarter teaspoon of crushed red pepper, four tablespoons of olive oil, one and a half teaspoon of kosher salt, one half teaspoon of ground black pepper, two sprigs of rosemary, one half cup of chopped yellow onion, eight ounces of orzo, two and a half cups of vegetable broth, one tablespoon of unsalted butter, one teaspoon of white wine vinegar, eight ounces of burrata cheese, and chopped fresh flat leaf parsley for topping. Here's the directions. First, you're gonna preheat your oven at 425 degrees Fahrenheit. Line a large rimmed baking sheet with parchment paper. Remove any tough stems from the mushrooms and tear or chop the mushrooms into large pieces. Place on baking sheet and toss with crushed red pepper, two tablespoons of oil, three quarters teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon black pepper, and rosemary. Spread in a single layer and then roast until tender and golden about 25 minutes. Then discard your rosemary. Next, you're, meanwhile, we're going to heat the remaining two tablespoons of oil in a medium pot over medium. 
Add onion and one quarter teaspoon salt. Cook, stirring occasionally until the onion is softened. This will be about five minutes. Next, you're going to add orzo to the pot. Cook, stirring often until orzo is fragrant and lightly toasted, two to three minutes. Add broth and remaining one half teaspoon salt. Bring to a simmer. Cook, stirring often and adjusting the heat as needed to maintain a, a simmer until the orzo is just tender and the liquid is almost absorbed. That'll be about nine to 11 minutes. If the liquid evaporates before the orzo is tender, add water one quarter cup at a time. Stir in butter, vinegar, and remaining one quarter teaspoon of black pepper. And next, you're gonna serve the orzo topped with the mushrooms, torn burrata, crushed red pepper, parsley, and a drizzle of oil. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.